Good morning. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. This week, soundscapes, specifically the sounds that Aldo Leopold heard sitting outside the shack, watching and listening in the early dark and then the dawn. And because sounds of wildlife are often directly related to light intensity, both topics are intertwined. If you've heard some of my earlier readings from a Sand County Almanac, or if you've been reading the book along with me, or if you have it memorized, you remember that he sometimes referred to measuring light intensity in light candles. I asked Dr. Stan Temple, a senior fellow at the Aldo Leopold Foundation, if Leopold had some kind of pocket light measuring device back in the 40s. It turns out he did. Stan wrote, Aldo purchased one of the earliest portable light meters to measure light intensity. The project was one of the only instances in which Leopold strictly used the scientific method by proposing a hypothesis. The time when each bird species joins the dawn chorus is determined by light intensity and testing it experimentally by noting the differences between the timing of the dawn chorus on overcast mornings, lower light intensity, and clear mornings, higher light intensity. He showed that birds sang later on overcast mornings than on clear mornings, unquote. Stan sent a photo of this very light meter. It looks to be about the size that would fit into your big shirt pocket it has the old GE emblem on its face, a round on-off switch, a round glass-covered needle gauge, and a long horizontal measure across the top that must indicate the precise light candles. Next to it in the photo is a worn but well-kept leather case. What a treasure! To refresh our memories of Leopold's references to light intensity, from a San County Almanac, I have a snippet from the July chapter, Great Possessions, wherein Leopold is sitting outside at 3.30 in the morning, as he so often did, with his coffee and his notebook. He first hears field sparrows at 3.35, then the robins and then the orioles join in. At 3.50, the indigo buntings and wrens are in song, quote, and now all is bedlam, Grosbeaks, thrashers, yellow warblers, bluebirds, vireos, towhees, cardinals, all are at it, unquote. And in the April chapter called Sky Dance, witnessing the spring woodcock display, quote, The show begins on the first warm evening in April at exactly 6.50 p.m. The curtain goes up one minute later each day until 1 June when the time is 7.50 this sliding scale is dictated by vanity, the dancer demanding a romantic light intensity of exactly five one-hundredths foot candles, unquote. And now I'll read the article that inspired my reading today from 2012 from the UW-Madison website News section by Terry Devitt titled, Aldo Leopold's Field Notes Score a Lost Soundscape. Among his many qualities, the pioneering wildlife ecologist Aldo Leopold was a meticulous taker of field notes. Rising before daylight, 
and perched on a bench at his Sauk County shack in Depression-era Wisconsin, Leopold routinely took notes on the dawn chorus of birds, beginning with the first pre-dawn calls of the indigo bunting or robin, Leopold would jot down in a tidy script the bird songs he heard, when he heard them, and details such as the light level when they first sang. He also mapped the territories of the birds near his shack so he knew where the songs originated. Lacking a tape recorder, the detailed written record was the best the iconic naturalist could do. Quote, Leopold took amazing field notes, says Stan Temple, University of Wisconsin-Madison Emeritus Professor of Wildlife Ecology, and now a senior fellow of the Aldo Leopold Foundation. He recorded his observations of nature in great detail, unquote. Using those notes, Temple and Christopher Bocast, a UW-Madison Nelson Institute graduate student and acoustic ecologist, have created a soundscape from Leopold's 70-year-old notes. But the dawn chorus that Leopold heard in 1940 no longer exists at the shack, Temple explains. The mix of species today is different due to changes in the landscape and changes in the bird community around the shack. More noticeable is the thrum of the nearby interstate highway audible at every hour from Leopold's storied sanctuary and the other constant and varied noises of the human animal. Since Leopold's time, for example, the internal combustion engine has roared to soundscape dominance, whether as an airplane overhead, a rumbling motorcycle, a whining chainsaw, or an outboard churning on the nearby Wisconsin River. Quote, the difference between 1940 and 2012 is overwhelmingly anthropony, human-generated noise, explains Temple. That's the big change. In Leopold's day, there was much less of that, unquote. The resurrected soundscape of 1940s Sauk County is the first to be recreated from the actual data rather than someone's imagination of what the past sounded like, says Temple. The work fits into an emerging field of science known as soundscape ecology, which seeks to explain the role of sound within a landscape and how it influences the animals, birds, insects, amphibians, even fish that live there. Recently, a rarefied group of scholars who work in the new field met at the Leopold Center just a few hundred yards from Leopold's humble shack. The National Science Foundation-sponsored workshop drew not only scientists but philosophers, musicians, and others with an interest in natural sounds. Temple gave the opening keynote, which featured the reconstructed dawn chorus. Quote, Aldo Leopold recognized that you can get a pretty good sense of land health by listening to the soundscape, Temple says. If sounds are missing and things are there that shouldn't be, it often indicates underlying ecological problems, unquote. The soundscape produced by Temple and Bocast is a compressed version of the chorus described by Leopold, taking 30 minutes of notes and compressing them into five minutes of recording. Bird songs and calls were obtained from the extensive collection housed at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Macaulay Library. The background sound on which they superimpose the bird songs is all Wisconsin, 
but Temple and Bocast struggled to find a place where human noise was as it would have been in Leopold's time. Quote, there are combustion engines on the edge of hearing all the time, says Bocast, whose dissertation work includes a bioacoustic study of low-frequency sounds made by spawning sturgeon. Citing a recent study, Temple points out that in the lower 48 states, there is no place more than 35 kilometers from the nearest road, making it nearly impossible to tune out the hum of human activity, even in places designated as wilderness. Quote, it is increasingly difficult to study natural soundscapes that represent normality, says Temple, noting that it is not just mechanical human noise that's encroaching. The rainforests of Hawaii, for example, no longer sound like the rainforests of Hawaii. Quote, they sound more like the rainforests of Puerto Rico because the calls of an introduced invasive tree frog are becoming pervasive, unquote. Preserving the natural sounds of a place says Temple, may be just as challenging as conserving the mosaic of plants and animals that help keep an ecosystem intact. Like smell and sight, quote, sound can be what you associate with a particular landscape, unquote, something Leopold appreciated and wrote about in several of his well-known essays. By noting and studying the role of sound in the natural world, Leopold proved again to be ahead of his time Science is only now coming to grips with the totality of the sounds of nature, much like the sound of an entire orchestra, rather than the individual components of the soundscape, according to Temple. Understanding how nature's music is changing and how much attention we need to pay to the sounds introduced by people, he says, are challenges for soundscape ecologists, and we have much to learn about what the noise people make does to the environment. And that's the end of the article by Terry Devitt from 2012. I'll play you the soundscape that was created to show us what the sounds of the birds at the shack would have been in the 1930s and 40s, the reconstructed landscape without the human sounds that are inevitably there today. I was sorry to learn that since this article was written, acoustic ecologist Christopher Bocast has died. His work recording sound of reproducing sturgeon, some sounds like clicks and some like thunder, and some many of those sounds too low for humans to hear, have helped scientists learn more about their reproduction habits, including the importance of the sounds that they make. Wisconsin is one of the few places on Earth this extremely rare, ancient, huge fish is reproducing in the wild. I'll play you some of Christopher Bocast's recorded sounds of sturgeon.
If you Google Christopher Bocast, B-O-C-A-S-T, and Sturgeon, you'll be able to find his recordings. And one more acoustic tip for you. You can find more soundscape science being done at the UW-Madison's Sound Forest Lab. As an introduction, they write about their work in tropical forests from protected forests like national parks and community protected areas to forests for human use like logging and hunting. We are looking for the best ways to preserve the variety of life within an ecosystem. We use sounds that animals make to investigate how tropical forests can stay safe and sound and find them at soundforestlab.org. You can find the reconstructed sounds of the Leopold Shack at the UW-Madison news site. And the title of the article is Aldo Leopold's Field Notes Score a Lost Soundscape, September 18th, 2012 by Terry Devitt. And the link is there to the full five-minute bird recording that was put together. I want to thank Dr. Stan Temple for his help and his inspiration for today's program. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. Thank you for listening.